Hey Lloyd, what do your pits smell like today? They're a lovely minty fresh scent today. How about yours? Mine are a subtle rose blush, thanks for asking. Hmm, but why would our listeners care about our armpits, Emma? Well, because this episode of For What It's Earth is sponsored by our friends at Wild Deodorant, a refillable natural and vegan deodorant company. Yes, we are genuinely so excited. We've talked a lot about Wild before, as we both use it, Mm -hmm. and we only partner with companies that we actually love, so for us this was a no-brainer. Absolutely. Now, Wild are a really great way to make your morning routine more sustainable. Step one, buy a durable aluminium case designed to last for life. Step two, select your refillable deodorant cartridge from their range of natural scents. Step three, smell great. Be smug. Made with eco-friendly and all-natural ingredients, there are no nasty chemicals, no single-use plastic, and no hard-to-recycle aerosols or applicators. And it's all made in the UK, and you can get it delivered straight to your door as a one-off or as a subscription. But most excitingly, you, our lovely listeners, can get 20% off your first wild purchase. Just visit wearewild.com and use our code EARTH at checkout. That's wearewild.com and use the code EARTH at checkout for 20% off. Hello and welcome to For What It's Earth, the podcast where we explore and break down topics from nature and the environment to climate change and sustainability and we ask, what can you and I do to save the planet? I'm Emma Bristian and this is a slightly different but very special episode to our usual For What It's Earth format. In episode 44, we spoke to Beaver Trust about bringing these wonderful native rodents back to British waterways, where they have the most amazing ability to create and manage a fantastic wetland landscape, which supports a huge diversity of life. Plus, they also help us mitigate both flooding and drought events, and they store carbon. Fantastic. So... Last summer, in 2020, in between lockdowns, of course, I was lucky enough to head down to Cornwall and see the impact that beavers have firsthand. And of course, I travelled with a microphone or two in tow. So, let me set the scene. I've just been squelching through a beaver-managed wetland led by Chris Jones, Director of Restoration at Beaver Trust, owner of Woodland Valley Farm, and all round just a bit of a legend. My feet are, I've got to admit, slightly soggy because I've had a little bit of water trickling in over the tops of my welly boots as Chris has just taken us on a fantastic tour of his five-acre beaver enclosure, also known as the site of Cornwall Beaver Project. Um, Pausing all around to stop and ID plants, have a look at the tooth marks on gnawed trees and to try and spot beaver footprints in the mud. Um, My sense of smell is very good. My sense of hearing is pretty good. It's like a bit of not a complete one. So they got three or four toes. You usually, usually see th- uh, uh, three, three big toes on their hind feet. There are four, but you usually see three very clearly. Um, and I'd say that's a bit of one from a small animal. How big do they get? Um, a metre long. Wow. Maybe 20 kilos. And more excitingly, to see some of these amazing creatures in the flesh too. And uh, the adults uh, just over here. Right by the bank. She's probably thinking we're going to chop down another tree soon. And then you had this on. See, see the branch moving there? She's just, uh, she's probably going to bite that off. Yeah, yeah. She's just, she's just, she's just bouncing around. You see it? Yeah, yeah. Is she? Look at her right ear, which is on her left now, if she turns towards us. Well, will tell us if it's mum or not. A few years ago, a breeding pair of beavers were introduced to see how they would transform the landscape here and to hopefully prevent the regular flooding that occurs downstream in Cornwall's Laddock Valley. 
It is now an absolute garden of Eden, or maybe a wetland of Eden, just humming with insects and bird life. And there's an air of excitement as the sun is starting to set, because uh, this is the kind of time when the beavers will start to emerge from their lodge for their evening of feeding and grooming. I'm sat on the trunk of a fallen tree alongside Chris. My sound recorder for the episode, Mark Skinner, is sat just in front of us and we are just simply surrounded by life. I mean, leaves are rustling in the gentle summer breeze. There are hundreds of birds that are now thriving in the beaver-managed wetland and they're just fluttering and tweeting away in the background. There are dragonflies in every direction. I mean, it's incredible. So why don't you come and join us on the log? So all this started from two beavers right you had a, a breeding pair was what you started a breeding with. pair arrived here in june 2017 and now i'm estimating and i and i say estimating because uh, uh you never see them all together um but i'm estimating that we've got about eight at the moment including three kits and you were saying within 10 weeks they'd created three different ponds out of uh, a very small yeah um they arrived on a friday and on sunday morning they had definitely commenced the first dam. Wow. And uh, they had produced two very creditable dams within uh, a couple of weeks, and then they started on the next one. And then after about three or four weeks, they started on the next one after that. So after 10 weeks or so here, they had completely changed the hydrology uh, on, on the site. And um, during a flood event, the flood peak was reduced by about a quarter uh, leaving the site here. So yeah, they completely changed it in just 10 short weeks. Which is amazing. And that's that's one of the things actually that a lot of people kind of say would be a, a great thing about reintroducing the beaver and their potential to stem flooding, especially with like big flooding events if we've got in the face of climate change, more um, intense rains that might be coming. Th th there is no doubt that in headwaters, the uh, and that is uh, uh, smaller streams, um, first, second, maybe third order streams, they can have a really significant impact very, very quickly if they're allowed to get going. Um, obviously on, on bigger streams they don't build dams because there's enough water there, there already for them not to need to do so. Mm. So it's, a, it's smaller streams in the headwaters, essentially where lots and lots of rain falls that they can um, do a huge amount of, of good mm. um, uh, for society and yeah, for wildlife, um, you get some drought resilience along with the flood resilience. Um, it's just an extraordinary uh, set of uh, results you can get from having beavers back. Mm. So they create this amazing wetland habitat mm. and you've given us a wonderful tour and we've walked around. There's just this endless, it seems, area of different ponds and rivers running between the mm. ponds. And can you talk a little bit about the kind of biodiversity that they can they can bring back, or the impact, perhaps more accurately, well, that they've had on this area for you? Firstly, what one of the big big things they do is they get a little stream uh, which is running quite quickly downhill, and they slow the water dramatically. And as the water slows, it can then begin to develop algae, mm -hmm. or support algae, I should say and algae is the bottom of every aquatic food chain. Mm -hmm. So as soon as you've got lots of algae there, you're producing food for a lot of other creatures. Happy fish. And uh, happy fish, uh, I mean, it's, it's at the bottom of the food chain first, um, so it's all your, all, all your little, little things that eat uh, algae, and then all the slightly bigger things that eat them, and so on and so forth. So you're getting 
what some people would call a trophic cas cascade um, happening here just because of this uh, Im Im immense slowing of water mm. and accumulation of water which ends up full of algae. And it's brought back heaps of um, insects as well and the kind of knock-on effect has been uh, in it, bird it, life it, as it well. Is, it is absolutely extraordinary. Um, uh, if I've got this right, I think we've got now 14 uh, varieties of uh, dragonflies and damselflies here. Wow. Yeah, um, which is sort of, sort of I think three quarters of, of uh, what there are in the UK altogether. Um, uh, we've had seven um, new bird records on the farm. Uh, we have lots of red-listed birds. Um, about you know, yesterday we saw uh, willow tits, spotted flycatcher. Mm. Um, uh, what else did we see? Um, we've just seen bullfinches now today. Yes, yeah. um, you might be able uh, to hear some in the background. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah a, a, a host, a host of uh, of things really, which um, we we are, are sort of, of of quite considerable concern. The RSPB, and um, we had a, a very senior birder here yesterday, and he was just saying, "Look, you know, th this is this is what we need if we're going to save some of these species from mm. going extinct uh, in in Britain." Um, a kind of beaver adapted landscapes, uh, but we've also had new um, mammals here. Now, okay. I wouldn't say they're necessarily 100% uh, to do with having the beavers here, but um, since they've come, we've seen polecats and water shrews mm. and harvest mice um, uh, what's the other one um, can't remember but there is another one uh, <laughs> uh, yeah um, and uh, they all seem to be really enjoying uh, uh, and, and having lots of opportunity opportunities with this much much wetter and wilder landscape mm. And you're seeing the same results in across the country, where, in other areas where they've been reintroduced um, as well? Uh, as far as I'm uh, aware, yes, you're getting a, a huge number of different uh, um, species turning up. Um, some of it is around the deadwood. You know, there's a lot more deadwood here now, mm. um, which is not just food for some things, it's also habitat for some things. So the willow tits really need to have quite complex uh, uh, dead and decaying willow and alder uh, to um, not just to find the food they want, but also to create the nesting habitat they need as well. Mm. Um, and apparently this is the uh, fastest or second fastest declining bird in Britain today. Oh wow. Is the um, word it. So well, perhaps we've got a new stronghold here. Well, there's a start of it. I mean, it's a very small place here, but it's it's very rich. Um, and uh, you know, we understand that we could probably keep maybe uh, four or five pairs in a piece of woodland like this. And... Um, you know, I can't wait to get the beavers back into our river, yeah. into our stream properly and, and um, have a lot more of them, uh, which would create obviously a lot more habitat for lots of, lots more willow tits. <laughs> if you could put beavers anywhere else in the UK, where do you think they would have a really great chance of thriving and have a, a real impact, do you think? Well, um, we should, we should consider uh, that beavers have impacts, clearly. Mm. Um, and some of those uh, are really, really beneficial, but also some of them are problematic. Mm. Uh, so, you know, they've caused local flooding here or localised flooding here. 
if this was in the middle of a village, that might not be so helpful. Wouldn't be so welcome. Exactly. No. So, so it's um, um, you know there, there are things you can do to, to manage that um, fairly easily, but if we consider these animals, they burrow just as much as they build, mm. um, and if you have them in a river which is behind uh, high flood banks to protect farmland, the beavers can wreck that very, very effectively. Mm. So how uh, far will they, will they go in, do you think, under the um, They potentially could burrow in certainly 10 metres, maybe 20 metres, mm. if they felt like it. Um, so, you, you, you know, there's, there's, uh, there is potential for, for quite serious economic damage. So what, what do we take from that? Uh, which comes back to your question about where do you think we could put them for, for um, mm. really good beneficial impact. Broadly speaking, the rest of the country uh, doesn't have very much floodplain agriculture. It's mostly in the east, um, let's say to the east of the Pennines, um, particularly places like Lincolnshire and Cambridgeshire, uh, the Fens. Um, so really they would be good places to maybe not go del deliberately putting beavers back into. But um, when we think about the western half of the country, uh, there are many, many, many rivers that would take them uh, very well, uh, produce quite obvious societal benefits, not just about preventing flood or, 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 or helping to alleviate drought, but also um, there's chance for economic um, uh, um, benefits from them. You know, if here we have uh, a lot of school groups and so on come to see them, mm. um, uh, and a lot of uh, um, people coming down here on, on holiday come and see them. So um, tourism. Kind of there's absolutely there's an element of, of sort of ecotourism, mm. and they would say the same thing on the River Otter, uh, mm. I think, and I've heard the same thing about um, uh, in Scotland uh, around um, Napdale, where the uh, official Scottish release was. Um, so, you know, there's, there's that about it as well. Um, and the uh, biodiversity benefits are just through the roof. Mm. Um, there's many, many um, taxa here. You know, fish have, have increased in numbers and size. The um, birds have increased in a number and variety. Uh, more mammals, more, just basically more of everything. Mm. So they have got incredibly beneficial. And this is at a time when our wildlife is generally going downhill fast. Yes, yeah. Mm. And actually, when we were nearly up to the top of our wellies mm. in the water earlier, you mentioned, oh, look how lovely and clear this stream is. Mm. And, and that's because they slow down the rate of the water, so, mm. so a lot of the silt will drop to the bottom. And you mentioned a actually yeah. a really interesting point about carbon capture in beaver mm. landscapes. Yeah, um, and it's something we, we, we kind of know happens, but I think we maybe don't know that much about how quickly it happens and uh, a sort of a, a rate let's say per year or, uh, or or however you want to express it so uh, there's definitely though a, a strong element of, of uh, carbon capture in amongst their occupation mm, so that's that's the organic <clears throat> matter being locked away in the silt exactly yeah. yes yeah um, and uh, I, I feel that we probably need to do a little bit of research on that Yes, no, I think you need a couple of people here to start taking some silt we samples. We do, we do, we do, we do, and um, get uh, get some lab time booked in and, <laughs> and start to find out what we've got. Now, and how did you get beavers in the first place? Was it something that you you kind of thought, I would love this, I'm going to make this happen? Or did the opportunity arise somewhere and you thought, hey, I think maybe I've got the landscape 
for this? Because mm. it's been quite heavily monitored. You work with Cornwall Wildlife Trust mm. on this project, haven't mm. you? How did you actually get beavers to your farm? Um, well, we had flooding in Laddock and it happened twice in one year and then happened very, very nearly twice the next year. And I thought we should be doing something about that and holding more water on our land. And, and um, uh, after a long sort of palaver with the Environment Agency, it just seemed to me the most sensible thing to do would be to uh, get beavers here to do it for us. And uh, that's what we did. Uh, uh, we, we commenced talking to the Wildlife Trust, who were very interested, and we talked to Exeter University, and they wanted to do some monitoring of the stream here. And um, we got involved with uh, Southampton University, who wanted to, to check out the fish. And we, we talked to the Environment Agency and all sorts of people about it. And um, uh, we found we didn't have to have a licence at that stage if it was going behind in an enclosure. Mm. So we just set, set to uh, getting it all together. And we, um, we couldn't get any funding from anywhere. So we did a crowdfunder oh. and, uh, and that worked good enough money and um, set it up and, and that that's really the, the story that's fantastic um, it was fantastic people supported that to yeah. that extent that's brilliant people are very very excited by the idea of bringing beavers back yes i can i can feel that yeah yes. yeah yeah i I, th I think this this is kind of the the reintroduction that not many people are going to be too worried about there are sections, you know, some some farmers are, are worried about it, and some fishermen fishermen are worried about it. But um, uh, and I I agree. There's there's going to be situations where really we don't want to have beavers back. Mm. Um, uh, I think the fishermen are mostly um, having uh, perceptions which don't necessarily reflect the the facts of the matter. Mm. Um, whereas uh, farmers. Uh, particularly in those areas of low-lying land we talked about, they have got a legitimate concern, I mm. think. So do you think, in inverted commas, we'd have a bit more success if beavers were kept in an enclosure like yours, or rather than maybe being left in the wild to, if they were put in one river catchment, just kind of see where they go? The, there's no doubt that uh, uh, an enclosure like this one, A, it's very expensive, but be it's exerting um, our natural uh, influence on the beavers themselves. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it, it's useful because it gives us a tremendous engagement tool and we can uh, end up with, with a, a pretty heavy beaver influence on this small area and you can bring people to it and show them really easily and quickly mm -hmm. uh, what they can do. But um, a family like this might, might be using up to a kilometre's length of stream as a, a territory, so we really should be, be uh, letting them out. They don't need to be in enclosures. Mm. That's that's absolutely the case, and and they can completely manage themselves uh, and make take their own decisions and do what they need to do. Mm. Uh, we just need to be alert to the fact that if they cause a problem anywhere, um, we do need to have uh, a system uh, of management where we, there are people who are able to be called on to come and do whatever needs to be done, whether it be uh, trapping or. Uh, um, education or uh, moving them or fencing them out of a place you know they're, they're very um, capable of raiding crops and oh. they like maize a lot so if there's maize nearby they might go and start eating the maize so you, you need to be to make sure there's somebody somewhere not too far away who can 
um, come and show the farmer how to protect his maize crop. They've got similar systems in Europe, don't they? Because a, a European beaver, that's what you've got here, but um, there's still plenty of them in, in Norway and Bavaria. They're all over the place, aren't they? Yeah, there's about one and a third million or so beavers in Europe at the wow. moment. Um, which is great, and, and it's a population that's growing. It's nowhere near what uh, the landscape of Europe could support um, without undue um, friction with people. Um, and uh, many European countries have got really well-honed, uh, well-practiced uh, management methods, which mean that, that uh, uh, the public um, are staying pretty much in favour of, uh, of having beavers, and in particular the, the, uh, the um, farmers and other land users, they're, 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 uh, they're able to do so able to treat the beavers with confidence in that they know if there's any problems they'll come and get them sorted out. Brilliant. And has having beavers, has anything surprised you about having them here? Or have you just fallen uh, in love with them? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think they're an extraordinary animal. They're endlessly fascinating. Mm. Um, I think that it, it, one thing that has definitely surprised me is that in times of low flows in the summer, they're able to do a lot of water accumulating then, um, which is a bit counterintuitive because there's not much water coming to the site. But I think that's because the the flows are quite low, so they're not struggling uh, with the current mm. um, to, to actually build. So th this is the time of year when they'll do, do quite a lot. Um, and I hadn't really factored that into my thinking at all. I thought it would be much more in the winter when there's lashings of water trying to push through that they'd, they'd save most of it. But that's no, it, it's now. That's their nickname, yeah. Busy Beavers. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, that's uh, uh, Willow Tit. Oh, really? The one just... Yeah, the one that's just gone in there now and made, made the little noise. Oh. Uh, now, if we see it, they're terribly pretty. And they're quite subdued colours, uh, but very, very pretty. So you're also working closely with the Beaver Trust. Yeah. Talk me through what they do and how you've been working with them. So Beaver Trust started up just over, over a year ago. Uh, we were originally looking at um, trying to recover wildlife in farmland. You know, our, our, our countryside has become really depleted of, of wildlife. And we wanted to try and reverse that. And I just said, look, you know, uh, there are people out there already beginning to do that. But by far the biggest bang for your buck is with beavers. Mm. And beavers, uh, because they're tied to waterways, and waterways ramify throughout our countryside, um, they are essentially opening up the nature recovery networks that we are all talking about a lot at the moment. And um, they would just seem to me to be the obvious thing to, to get going if we can get them legalised here, given a degree of protection, uh, recognised as being a native, and then let's get the beavers back in, in the countryside where they should be so and working. So they're not at all at the moment? Uh, currently, no. Which is interesting, but you're right, on, on the front of getting them recognised as native, they always were, weren't they? It was, it's kind of uh, absolutely, our yes. fault yeah. that they're gone. It, correct. And we actually have uh, four or five free-living populations of beaver in, in England now, and I think legally, uh, if uh, we keep on going, uh, uh, sort of harmonised with European environmental law, 
we will have to recognise them as native. I don't think there's a great deal of choice about that great. Uh, in due course. We're working with a whole range of stakeholders in that. We, we really want to try and get the, the broad range of stakeholders out there. There's obviously there's groups who are very, very keen and want to see beavers back tomorrow. But there are others like the National Farmers Union, um, the Angling Trust, for example, who, uh, if they were being honest, would say, well, we never want to see beavers back. Mm. Um, I and mean, somehow we're trying to broker some agreement with all the interested parties to say that, yes, we can support them being back. There may be some nuances around that, like, uh, yes, we can support them back, but we won't, won't have the right to have lethal control or whatever. Um, uh, or, 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 or you know, whatever, there's all sorts of possibilities with that. But I think it's very important that we can go to government and have the vast majority, if not all, uh, of the stakeholders saying, yes, we can, uh, we can tolerate this animal. But that's great, you know, you're, you're right. To get anything through these days, you have to engage with every stakeholder you and make really sure that do. most people are on board. You, 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 and you, 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 know, you, you really, really do. And I think uh, there's a lot of education involved in that too, because, um, you know, well, for a starter, not all farmers uh, are anti-beaver. Not all fishermen are anti-beaver. So, we, you know, we, we, we're sort of part of the way there. It's the organisations, the big orga big organisations. Mm. And if we can bring them to a point where they can say, yeah, they'll be all right if, or mm. they'll be all right in this way or whatever, then we've done a huge amount. Um, and we've just got to try and keep trying and keep trying. Um, I, I think the direction of travel is towards beavers being much more widely uh, released into the country. I think there's uh, very obvious uh, strategic ways we could do that which would have, certainly in the short term, the least uh, conflict mm. uh, or potential for conflict. Um, we should do that. What do you think about, because the beaver's kind of becoming the poster boy for um, like rewilding mm. in the UK, isn't it? Mm. Do you think that's an accurate position for it to be in or a beneficial position for it to be in? Well, I think that... Um, uh, I think rewilding is, is a problematic word because it means something different to so many people. And where I think beavers are absolutely vital, uh, if we want our rivers to have the ecological integrity that they need, especially as climate change bites, mm. then this animal needs to come back. You, you know, we cannot have a healthy river without this animal. And by healthy, I don't just mean clean. Uh, I, I mean uh, a river that behaves in an ecologically caring kind of way. Um, so we, we absolutely need this animal. There's no question of that, uh, in my view. They can cause impacts which are uh, a pain for some people, but we need to learn to live with them and live with that. Um, and I think it's perfectly uh, possible that we do. There are so many examples from Europe where people are doing that, and from North America as well. So we just need to uh, stop being so bloody British about things and, and get, get on and, and, uh, uh, and welcome this animal back and um, give it the, uh, the profile and, and, and the, the role that it needs, you know, mm, that, we need, yes. that we need, that we need. Well, so much of learning to live with nature again is, is compromised, but the reason is, you know, we've built this bubble we've decided how we want to live our lives at the detriment to nature yes and now we've realized we desperately need nature yes 
so we have to learn to live with it again. It's, it's not about putting it in a, in a place away from us. There's, there shouldn't be an us and them. We have to be much yeah. more coherent. No, uh, no, absolutely. You know, we, we are part of the deal. And um, I've said this before, you know, if, if nature can't thrive, then we can't either in the long run. So we better get used to the idea. Brilliant. I think that's, that's fantastic. Thanks that's so much. You're really welcome. That was wonderful. Really welcome. So what's fantastic about Chris is that it's not just that he's a wonderful fountain of knowledge and that he's really genuine and generous with his knowledge and with his time, but it's also that he's entered the world of beavers and species reintroduction as a farmer looking for effective ways to manage flooding. And he saw the potential that beavers could have as a natural solution to limit flooding in his catchment. But now he's also seen how great an impact they can have on so many other spheres of life. And he's a farmer. Often terms like rewilding uh, and nature restoration aren't always assumed to go hand in hand with farming. But Chris bridges these two communities and areas of expertise. And his farm is just the most amazing, shining example of the way that the two can go very well together. I mean, in fact, in periods of drought in the summer months, he's even able to use the water that's been stored by the beaver wetlands to help keep the rest of his farm and his livestock irrigated, which is brilliant. So thank you so much, Chris, for welcoming us to Woodland Valley Farm, for sharing your knowledge and your enthusiasm for beavers and for giving me one of the best beaver experiences of my life. Just after we finished recording this episode, I saw a family of four, two parents and two kids all grooming each other in the late summer sun. It was it was perfect. For more things beaver, you can also check out the Beaver Trust's new podcast, The Lodgecast, hosted by the wonderful Sophie Pavel and Eva Bishop from Beaver Trust and produced by me. So if you like this, hopefully you'll enjoy that podcast. And I do hope that you enjoyed this little podcast field trip. I loved it. And um, we'd love to do more of them in the future as and when restrictions allow. So let us know what you thought. And if you've got a site or a project which you'd be interested in us visiting, then please do get in touch. I've mentioned previously that I'm super keen to visit a bog restoration project later this year. But um, I'm open to all ideas and we can't wait to meet more wonderful and inspiring people doing fantastic things for nature and the planet. So don't forget you can find For What It's Earth on social media. You can drop us an email at forwhatitsearthpod at gmail.com. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks for our next episode. Bye.